The Old Testament reading for this, the 12th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the book of Proverbs, the 25th chapter. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. And this is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The epistle reading comes from the letter to the Hebrews, the 13th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel that serves as the text for our sermon this morning comes to us according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. 
And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honors, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Over the last couple of weeks, our readings had been kind of intense, hadn't they? Jesus had been talking about bringing fire to the earth, about families being divided over faith, about the door to heaven being narrow and there being relatively few who enter into it. So when you heard today's readings, do you breathe a little sigh of relief that we weren't discussing hell and strife this week? Our readings this week are very practical, for lack of a better word. Compared to the last couple of weeks, I mean, they're downright folksy today, aren't they? The Old Testament reading is from Proverbs and gives us lots of little nuggets of wisdom. Taking bad advisors out of your life is like taking the dross out of silver. Don't promote yourself or think that you're better than you really are. Don't go taking everyone to court because you're not innocent yourself. Don't gossip about people. All these little tidbits that we can just apply to our everyday life and say, yeah, I can do that. And then our epistle reading from Hebrews seems to continue in that vein. Love one another, care for strangers, remember those in prison, keep from sexual sin, keep from love of money, pray for your leaders, and so on. And even our gospel reading has Jesus reclining at a table, gently admonishing people for thinking it was evil to do good on the Sabbath, giving advice on where to sit when you go to a party, and who you should invite when you yourself are hosting a party. All of our readings seem so down-to-earth, so useful, so practical. It makes us kind of nod-knowingly push back our imaginary cowboy hat and tell God, well, that's some mighty fine advice you got there. And let's face it, when our readings seem to be giving us good advice, rather than proclamations about hell and condemnation, we're a lot more comfortable, aren't we? We aren't squirming in our seats wondering if Jesus is talking about us. 
were relieved to hear Jesus doling out advice about life instead of warnings about our eternal souls. Not just in these readings, but all throughout the entire Bible. We are far more comfortable, far more drawn to those passages that have real-life, earthly applications that are clear and easy to understand and follow. We want to think of the Bible as life's little instruction manual, a book that explains all the stuff around us and gives us tips and tricks to get things done right. We want checklists, we want guidelines, we want advice from God. We want to know that if we follow these certain rules, do things just the right way, things will go better for us. Do what the Bible says, and you can have your best life now. We would prefer to see the Bible as good earthly advice. Christian bookstores, they are filled with biblical self-help and advice books. Here's a book on parenting advice from the Bible. Here's a scriptural guide to handling your finances. And here's a book that shows you all the weight loss tips in God's Word. And I really wish I was making up that last one, but that is a real book. It is harder and harder to find Christian books that actually talk about sin and salvation. But it's way easier to find a book that turns the Bible into these scattered bits and pieces of advice on any earthly topic you can think of. Because that's what sells. That's what appeals to us. Because it's less offensive. It soothes our conscience when we do it wrong because, hey, it's just a little advice. Maybe I didn't invest quite as much money as this book told me to this month, but I'll catch up for it next month. It makes everything seem a lot less daunting. Because we think the Bible is all about stuff that we can touch, stuff we can do, stuff we control. We think the Bible is about stuff. And we're fine with God's Word being advice. We love it, in fact. Because advice we can take or leave without a whole lot of repercussions. But when we start talking about eternal matters suddenly things get far more serious. We're happy to give our neighbors advice. What color they should paint their house, what kind of music they should try listening to, where they should go shopping for pants. But we're way less likely to tell them about God's word and sin and hell and eternal matters. Why? Because those things are huge. They're heavy. They're very serious, and they're not exactly open for debate. We're happy to discuss earthly things because people can take our advice or leave it. It's no big deal. It's one thing to be living within or to not be living within your financial means, but a whole other thing to be living outside of God's grace. And so we try to keep it casual, keep it friendly, non offensive, comfortable for them and especially comfortable for us. And so we try to make God's word into good advice that really benefits us if we listen to it and we do it, but it's not going to hurt anyone who doesn't. But that's not what God's word is. God's word is far more than advice. God's word is far more than just about our earthly lives. It's about salvation. As sinners living in a sinful world, we need to understand 
that the truth of God's word is going to be inherently offensive to us and to everyone around us. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to make us squirm. When spoken in its truth and purity, it always has been and it always will. I mean, Jesus offended those who were sitting at the table with him. When he healed the man on the Sabbath, they were scandalized. It's the Sabbath. Doesn't this guy know you don't do work? And yet he said, look, this is the work of God to save, to heal, to help his lost children. When he admonished them for their self-serving actions, they were scandalized. Well, I would never take a seat like that. When he pointed out the spiritual errors of their ways, they were offended. He offended people a lot all throughout his entire ministry. Not by calling them names or taunting them needlessly. His mission isn't to offend and anger everyone, like to just come down and make sure that everybody's upset with him and then his duty is done. But speaking his holy and perfect word, showing the errors and sins of the world, everything that he did was offensive to someone. Because we're sinners. And still today, the word of Jesus offends sinners like us. We don't want to hear that we're wrong. We don't want to hear that we're not the ones who are in control. We don't want to hear that we are sinners who truly deserve only eternal wrath and hell. And yet, that's exactly what God's word tells us. Because it's what we desperately need to hear. Even when it crushes our fragile little egos, even when we think that God's being a big meanie about it, it is absolutely necessary. Out of love, not out of hatred, God tells us the brutal truth of our situation because it's a truth that we desperately need to hear, even if it offends us. But instead of just offending Instead of even just offering some good advice and how-to tips to make things a little bit better here in the world, Jesus' word brings us true healing, true forgiveness, eternal salvation. His word is not just to make our lives better here, because here isn't going to last all that long in the grand scheme of things, and really isn't all that great. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want this to be my best life? Because this life kind of stinks sometimes. Even the best days that we have, there's still sorrow and sadness in the background. There's still the thought that this joy is going to come to an end at some point. There's still the fear of unknown terrors yet to come for ourselves and our families and for the world. And so God doesn't promise us that this is as good as it gets. He doesn't give us a handful of tips to make this life slightly better and call it good. Instead, God gives us eternal peace, absolute assurance, and full forgiveness of our sins. And that, in and of itself, that's fantastic. That is far more than we sinners deserve. But God gives us even more. More than just words, Jesus gave us himself completely. That salvation that God's word pours so freely into our undeserving lives, it was purchased at a cost, at a staggering price that we will never fully comprehend. Jesus Christ, true God, 
the creator of all things, humbled himself to take on our flesh, to be born of the Virgin Mary and laid in a manger. He endured satanic temptations that he would not have had to subject himself to. He endured public mockery and doubt and disbelief. He allowed himself to be betrayed by a dear, close friend, to be tried unjustly by those who should have been welcoming and celebrating his arrival. He allowed himself to be beaten and ridiculed and spat upon by those that he came to save. He was scourged and tortured. He was stripped and nailed to the cross, and he was lifted up for the whole world to look at and to laugh. He suffered the pains of hell itself as God the Father turned his back on his only begotten beloved Son. As all the sin of the world was laid upon Jesus, as God's righteous wrath was poured out in full on the innocent, holy, sinless Lamb of God. Jesus did all of that so you wouldn't have to endure it. By rights, by your sin, that should have been your pain, your suffering, your death, your hell for all eternity. But what are you, a poor, miserable sinner, given instead? Forgiveness, eternal life, the perfect joy of heaven, everlasting victory over sin, death, and the devil. Jesus' death on the cross, his triumphant resurrection from the dead, it was all done for you. Jesus didn't just come to dole out some good earthly advice. He came to take away your sins so that you could be forgiven. You could be cleansed and made holy so that you could live in that perfect paradise of heaven with him forever. That's the real value of God's holy word. Yes, it has some great tips for good living. And yes, obeying God's word is a good thing to do, and it blesses our lives and our neighbors' lives in many, many ways. But Jesus is far, far more than just the giver of good advice. He is your Savior. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not with fancy speeches and good social etiquette, but with his blood, with his suffering and death, with his resurrection. He gave everything to purchase you from sin and death and the devil. And through his word, he now gives you everything. Not for a comfortable life here on earth, but for an eternal life of glory in heaven. Jesus doesn't just give you good advice. By his gory death on the cross, by his glorious resurrection from the grave, you are forgiven of every one of your sins. And eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.